You may remain standing as we read the scriptures. We're especially glad to see if you're visiting with us this early cold Sabbath morning. And we remind all of you to pay attention to your bulletin at pages 10 and 11. There are a lot of things happening this time of the year. A lot of our ministries are starting up for the spring semester this week and last week and next week. So be aware of those things and attend and participate. Now I'll direct your attention to the Word of God, to the book of 1 Samuel, to chapter 16 and the first half of that chapter. The Lord said to Samuel, How long will you grieve over Saul, since I have rejected him from being king over Israel? Fill your horn with oil and go, and I will send you to Jesse the Bethlehemite, for I have provided for myself a king among his sons. And Samuel said, How can I go? If Saul hears it, he will kill me. And the Lord said, Take a heifer with you and say, I have come to sacrifice to the Lord. And invite Jesse to the sacrifice, and I will show you what you shall do. And you shall anoint for me him whom I declare to you. Samuel did what the Lord commanded and came to Bethlehem. The elders of the city came to meet him trembling and said, Do you come peaceably? And he said, Peaceably, I come to sacrifice to the Lord. Consecrate yourselves and come with me to sacrifice. And he consecrated Jesse and his sons and invited them to the sacrifice. When they came, he looked at Eliah and thought, surely the Lord's anointed is before him. But the Lord said to Samuel, do not look on his appearance or on the height of his stature, because I have rejected him. For the Lord sees not as man sees. Man looks on the outward appearance, but the Lord looks on the heart. Then Jesse called Abinadab and made him pass before Samuel. And he said, Neither has the Lord chosen this one. Then Jesse made Shammah pass by, and he said, Neither has the Lord chosen this one. And Jesse made seven of his sons pass before Samuel. Samuel said to Jesse, The Lord has not chosen these. Then Samuel said to Jesse, Are all your sons here? And he said, There remains yet the youngest, but behold, he's keeping the sheep. And Samuel said to Jesse, Send him. For he will, we will not sit down until he comes here. And he sent and brought him in. Now he was ruddy and had beautiful eyes and was handsome. And the Lord said, Arise, anoint him, for this is he. Then Samuel took the horn of oil and anointed him in the midst of his brothers. And the Spirit of the Lord rushed upon David from that day forward. And Samuel rose and went to Ramah. The word of the Lord. Amen. You may be seated. Samuel loved his hometown. I think one of the reasons he loved it is because when he was a little child, he didn't spend much time there. You remember Samuel spent most of his time with Eli at the tabernacle of the Lord, serving Eli the high priest at that time. And Samuel had grown up in the things of the Lord. You remember his mother? His mother was a very emotional woman. Remember, she cried before the Lord, and his mother was a very spiritually sensitive woman. And then we learn from her song in, Hannah, in Hannah's song in, in Samuel chapter 2, we find that she was well aware by the inspiration of the Spirit of God and by her own spiritual maturity 
of God's program and God's purposes throughout the earth. And she spoke of God raising up a king, an anointed one. She didn't name who it was, but she spoke of these things. This was on her heart. And she had a sense in which she sought first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And then all these other things were added to her. That is, she had Samuel, but then she had other children as well, boys and girls. Samuel was a lot like his mother. He was sensitive to the things of the Lord. He was very, very ingrained in spiritual matters and soaked in the sovereignty of God. And he understood the ways of the Lord in so many ways. And the Lord had trained him to be a prophet. And he was a great prophet. And he had a ministry of, of a priestly and a prophetic ministry throughout Israel and served as a judge. He had done an incredible work, but... Sometime back, as we saw just before Christmas, he had given a farewell speech and he was old and he was tired and he had felt like that he had done all he could do and the people were crying for a king and Samuel facilitated them finding a king and we've seen something about that king, King Saul. And we saw last week especially the final demise of King Saul in the sense that God rejected him as serving as king. Now, Saul continued to serve for probably a dozen more years or more as the king of Israel, but he wasn't God's king. He wasn't God's choice. God had rejected him. And Samuel just about couldn't take it. Old, tired, having been excited and energized and poured his life into this young prince, doing everything he could possibly do to minister to, to develop, to support, to prop up, to defend, to help King Saul. He had gone out of his way to do everything he possibly could do to make King Saul a success. And King Saul had some successes, but we saw last week that by and large, he just did not obey God. He would not walk in God's ways. He wouldn't wait on the Lord. He wouldn't do things God's way. And finally the Lord told Samuel, I rejected Saul. Last week was a time of lament. We were lamenting the regret that God had for bringing up King Saul. And the last thing we saw was Samuel had gone back home back home to Rama. He loved his hometown. He spent his life there. He was buried there. We'll see at the end of the chapter we just read, he goes back home to Rama after he's anointed this young man, David. And back home, he felt like he was at square one. And we see in this first verse some of the saddest things you'll see in Scripture. And that is the melancholy prophet. Oh, we'll see it in, King, in uh, the prophet Jonah. We'll see it later in the prophet Elijah. We'll see some of it in Moses. We'll see a lot of it in Jeremiah. Here's the man who's preached the word of God, lived and breathed of the word of God, and he's just down, frustrated, despondent angry. If we would look through all the stages of grief and remorse and sadness and depression, 
and think about it for a moment, we'd see that's where Samuel was. It's hard to imagine, but that's where he was. And he would have probably stayed there until he died if God hadn't recalled him. Just like he had called him in the night when he was serving Eli when he was still a little boy. Now God takes the old man and calls him. You think God can recall an old man? I'll bear witness he can. He recalled him to service. He had not processed his grief very healthy. He was looking really to the end of his career and sizing it up and saying, well, we've had some ups, we've had some downs, and and we've had an Ebenezer, we've come this far, but this may be as far as we go. He lost his perspective, his eternal perspective. Samuel just human like the rest of us. He gives up on himself. He gives up on God. He forgets. He's back home. The walls are closing in. He's becoming very narrow and low in his perspective. He's down. And then the Lord said to Samuel, (laughs) when the Lord speaks, that makes all the difference in the world, doesn't it? The Lord spoke into his situation. And he spoke clearly. And listen to what the Lord said. He said, how long will you grieve over Saul since I have rejected him from being king over Israel? I've rejected Saul, the Lord says, but I haven't rejected my kingdom. I haven't rejected my people. I haven't given up on my plan of salvation. And I haven't given up on you. We need to ponder that. Does the Lord give up on us? Or does he have purposes that are beyond what we can possibly imagine? And it is not our work to do God's work without God. And it's not God, God's will that we should work like that. When you work like that, you come to exhaustion, to depression. You come to a place where you just want to give up. I've been there more than once. But when you get a refreshing wind of the Spirit, And hear the voice of God telling you about his purposes. So he told him, he said, get up, fill up, and go up. Get up out of the slow of despond. Fill up your horn with oil. And I'm going to tell you how much oil he put in that horn. A hen you know what a hen of oil is? A hen's about a liter. It's a unit of measurement for liquids. Put your, your horn full of oil. Every drop you can get in that horn. Fill it up. And then go up. Go up to the hill country. Go up to the mountainous area. Go up in very close to Jerusalem. Go up to a town called Bethlehem. And he says, go up and visit with a particular uh, elder of that clan. He says, I will send you to Jesse the Bethlehemite. You know who Jesse is? Remember him? He's the grandson of Ruth. Remember Ruth and Boaz? They had a little boy, Obed. A little boy, Obed grew up and had a little boy, Jesse. And Jesse grew up and had eight sons. His, his tribe is increasing pretty quickly. Powerful clan of the tribe of Judah. And Samuel is sent up there by the Lord. He says, I'm going to send you for 
I have provided for myself a king from among Jesse's sons. That's how God does business. He provides things for himself. The work of the gospel, the work of the kingdom, the work of the church is God's work. In Ezekiel, he tells Ezekiel, when Ezekiel was in one of these deep, dark despairs, and he says, I will shepherd my sheep. God says, I'll take care of the real work. I'll move it along. I'll advance it. It's my work. And the word he uses here is I have, have provided is a word that appears several times in its root form and throughout this passage. You'll find it especially when Samuel comes to Jesse's house and begins to look over his sons. He says, he looked on Eliah. The Lord tells him, do not look on his looks, on his appearance. He says, for the Lord sees, that's that same root word, not as man sees. For man looks on the outward appearance, but the Lord looks on the heart. If we were to find a key word in this passage, that would be uh, one of them. <laughs> There's a bunch of them. But that's one of them. Appearances, the way it looks. But the word is, has to do with to see, to look, but to look beyond the current horizon, to look beyond the current circumstance. It's the word provision. Pro means before, and vide, vision, provide, means to provide and make provision and put things in order and take care of things beforehand. By the way, if we were teaching doctrine this morning, we'd be teaching the providence of God. God provides. He vides. He sees ahead. And he makes provision ahead of time. And that's what the Lord has done in your life. He's already numbered your days and he's already marked out your steps. Meanwhile, you can't see past your nose and you stumble in the darkness. That's just the difference in perspective. When we get our perspective on life, it's a whole lot different than God's perspective. God brings and just rushes his perspective in on poor, poor old Samuel who's heard the word of the Lord so many times and now he gets this, this rebuke and this admonition and he gets a new mission. And Samuel said, how can I go up for Saul hears that I'm going up to anoint a king? That's treason. Saul will kill me. If it's bad enough seeing a melancholy prophet, it's, it's worse seeing a, 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 a prophet in fear trembling and afraid of the powers that be, forgetting that King Saul is not even the powers that be anymore. He's not even really the king in the sight of God. God is the king, and he's given an order. That's not treason. That's obedience. There's a law above the law. There's a king above the king. And that's who God is. And Samuel hears that voice and he recognizes it and, and trembles in fear and the Lord allays his fear and the Lord says, you say, take a heifer with you and say, I've come to sacrifice to the Lord. A superficial reading of that verse, you think, oh, the Lord's given him a cover. The Lord's going to uh, give him a, a, a cover story on his mission. That's exactly what the Lord's doing. The word cover in the Hebrew is kafar, and it's the word we, tr we translate atonement, a covering. That's what God does. He covers for us. He atones for us. He eradicates what you would see and makes people blind to it, 
makes God himself in his own propitiatory sacrifice in Christ. He becomes blind to, his, to, to our sin. He sees them and remembers them against us no more. All of a sudden, God has restored the prophet. He's given him a word, he's given him a mission, and he's given him his job. Do you remember what Samuel was trained in as a child? He was trained in the sacrifice. He served there at the altar with, with Eli and Eli's sons and others. He's a sacrificing man. And he'd just about forgotten what he was all about. Remember, he used to go all over the land, had a circuit that he took each year and make sacrifices everywhere. But he had kind of slipped into retirement. He'd slipped into inactivity. He'd kind of lost his mission. And the Lord's saying, get a heifer and let's go sacrifice. That's what you do. That's what the obedient person does. They they move forward with God. And that's what, that's what God's calling Samuel to do is to sacrifice. Take a heifer with you and say, we come to sacrifice the Lord and invite Jesse to the sacrifice. And then I'll show you what you shall do when you get there. You shall anoint for me him whom I declare unto you. I love this fourth verse. Samuel did what the Lord commanded him and came to Bethlehem. Well, I wish, they, I wish our life could read that way, don't you? And we did what the Lord commanded us. There's where your happiness and your fulfillment is. But that's also where the sacrifice is. That's where the effort is. That's where the risk are. Sometimes that's where the loss is. Sometimes obedience will lead us to some kind of loss or despair or frustration. But being in the center of God's will, doing His way, is much more bearable emotionally than being on our own and in our own darkness and following in our own paths. And so that's, that's what Samuel is doing here and the Lord has given him the reward of his work. But when he comes to the town of Bethlehem, he's greeted by the elders. And the first thing the elders want to know are, do you come in peace? Why, why would they be afraid of the prophet? Well, because the last newspaper they read had a story in it, and it's found two verses up in the previous chapter. And Samuel hacked Agad to pieces before the Lord. <laughs> the last time they heard a word about the prophet, he was hacking to pieces the king of the Amalekites because Saul didn't do it, didn't render the judgment upon them that God had commanded him to do. And so poor old Samuel just took it into his own hands to hack into pieces this, this, this wicked and belligerent and hostile king of God's people, who all, by the way, in the context, we didn't look at it much last week, but the story there was that this king had been making fun of Israel, making fun of their weakness. If you guys had any uh, nerve at all, any bravery at all, you would execute me. You don't even have the guts to execute me, was what he basically said. And Samuel just took him and hacked him to pieces. The vengeance of the Lord. Vengeance is mine. I will repay, says the Lord. And that's what the elders of Bethlehem had last heard. Not that Samuel was back at Ramah discouraged. Last thing they heard was he was hacking people to pieces that disobeyed God. So they were worried that the prophet was come on a visitation of judgment. But he said, no, I've come to make a sacrifice. And he invites them to the sacrifice no doubt there was a lot of repentance going on. 
a lot of re-examination of their life. This is one more time the prophet shows up, and when the prophet of God shows up, there's a revival. It may not ring through the hills, but it revives hearts and lives and commitment and warmth and closeness to God and, and, and diligence and zeal for service. And so he brings to the whole town. He's on a mission to anoint David, but on the way, he revives the whole clan. In fact, the whole area in this Judean countryside. God now is at moving. God, God is moving. God is at work in this, in this place. And so he invites them to the sacrifice and they come up and he says, consecrate yourselves and come with me. And he brings Jesse. He consecrates Jesse and his sons. Invite them to the sacrifice. And so he's, he's, he's offering the heifer, which is a thank offering. And it will eventually turn into a big, nice feast, a banquet, because they will eat the, uh, the edible portions of the sacrificial animal. So they're prepared this great feast, but Samuel's mission is to find the man. And it wasn't hard to do because just as soon as the sons of Jesse lined up, there was the firstborn. And my goodness, was he a handsome man, tall, strong, firstborn, had all of the regal splendor that you'd want in a young man. Jesse's oldest son, Eliab, but notice what the Lord says about Eliab. He said, I have rejected him. That's the same thing he said about Saul. And then he gives David a little help on how to go about evaluating talent. He says, don't look on the outward appearance. Man looks on the outward appearance. Man looks at looks. What looks good? What sells? What's attractive? What's charismatic? God looks on the heart. What is spirit-filled? What is divinely gifted? What has the holiness of character? What is a veritable orchard of the fruits of the Spirit? There's your difference. There's your evaluation. So with this new vision in mind of what to look for in, in a king. Saul says, this is not the one. And Jesse says, well, I have another one. In fact, all these boys are cut out of the same cloth. These are all good boys, all qualified. I'm not sure, the text doesn't say, and I rather doubt that Samuel told Jesse exactly what he was doing at this point. I have a feeling that the mission is secret. The secret things belong to the Lord. That which God has revealed belongs to us. Deuteronomy 29, 29. But that which is secret belongs to the Lord. And so much are the secret counsels of God. And we don't know the secret counsels of God. We don't know what God is, is, um, is up to. Notice that when, when he launches onto this mission, God doesn't tell him to go speak a word. He says, make a sacrifice. And the purposes of God are fulfilled in that humble and thankful and joyful ritual of sacrifice. The sacrifices of God's people are sacrifices of praises to the Lord. So here they are at the festival. The sacrifice has been made. The meal is being prepared. And Samuel's busy about his, his ministry. So he brings up the next boy. 
Abi Nadab. And the Lord softens it a little bit. It's a different word. He says, I've not chosen him. He didn't say I rejected him. I've not chosen him. Could be that he didn't look as good as his older brother. It could be that Samuel was a little wiser now and was looking, but still he must be reminded. It's not a matter of absolute rejection. It's just pass him by. Pass him by. Can you imagine the Lord passing someone by? The Bible tells us he'll pass the hard-hearted, the stiff-necked, the unrepentant, the obstinate, the hostile. God will just pass them by. He can do that. God is an electing, choosing God and has every sovereign right to do it. And here he is once again exercising that divine prerogative. And then they brought up the third, said the same thing. Neither has the Lord chosen this one. And the story spares us, but they do that all the way down. Four more boys appear before Samuel. Four more boys are passed by. These were the boys that Jesse had brought forward. These were the boys that had been consecrated. These were the boys that were at the meeting. These were the boys that were at the father's side. The Lord had told Samuel, I want you to anoint one of Jesse's sons. Samuel's out of prospects. But he has faith in God's promise. And you sure, isn't this it there? You have this all your sons? Is there, is there someone else? Oh, yeah. Yeah, there's this little one, the small one. It's actually the youngest one. But he's tending the sheep. He's not really a candidate. Samuel says, bring him here. Samuel said to Jesse, send and get him, for we will not sit down until he comes. We're not going to have the meal. And there's seven hungry boys and we're not going to eat till that little ragtag shag little brother shows up. And up till now, we don't even know his name. They sent and they brought him in, verse 13. Now he was ruddy. Means he was red, red-headed probably, and which is unusual in the ancient Near East. His features, he had beautiful eyes. Some have speculated that maybe they had a hazel or even a blue hue as opposed to the traditional brown eyes. The Lord's working now with the recessive genes of the gene pool. And he brings in the one that wasn't like the others, wasn't expected to be like the others. And he was handsome. See, the Lord's got nothing against good looks. <laughs> and the older boy was handsome. Saul was handsome. God's got nothing against good looks. He just looks at the heart. It wasn't that the older brother was disqualified because he was handsome. He was disqualified because he didn't have a heart for God. God is looking for a man after his own heart, someone whose heart is after the Lord. And so he brings in, and I'll tell you what I think made uh, um, David handsome and bright-eyed, and, and in, in uh, the lore, he was, he's called, he was called beautiful. And I'll tell you what I think made him beautiful. In addition to having a heart for God, which he certainly did, that's the whole point, but he'd been out tending the sheep, humbly preparing 
for a life of tending the sheep. <laughs> he was getting ready to spend his life tending sheep. He was studying for a career in tending sheep. But he was outdoors. He was in the fresh air. At night, he was looking at God's stars, and he comes up with a psalm, and we number it 19. It says, the heavens declare the glory of God, and the firmament shows his handiwork. When he had a little daylight, and the sheep weren't stirring around too much, he would flop out an old scroll of a piece of the law that he had been able to get. And he would do, and we recorded in Psalm 1, where David says he meditates on the law day and night. And he was working on his skills, the skills of his right hand. He was learning to play the lyre, the harp. He was learning to sling a stone. He was listening to the voice of God. He was learning those rudiments and those basic things. Most speculate that David's age at this time was somewhere around 18 to 21 might have been as old as 20, 21, young as 17, 18. We don't really know, but the time frame is about 10 or 12 years before he actually becomes king, and he becomes king at age 30. So that would make 18 kind of our outside number. But he was, he was grown, but yet he was still a youth. And he was God's choice, and that's what the Lord said. The Lord said, Arise, anoint him, for this is he. And Samuel took the horn of oil and anointed him in the midst of his brothers, he took that anointing oil with a hint of oil in it and he poured it out on King David. Poured it out. In fact, if, he, if, if, if Samuel followed the prescriptions of the book of Leviticus, which I'm pretty sure a priest would do that, he poured it into his hand and then he poured it over him. And another, until he emptied the whole hint of oil over the whole potty of David. That's the way anointings were in the Old Testament. It was a ritual. And they were called rituals of baptism. Hebrews chapter 6. And they were rituals of various kinds. There were anointing rituals which involved the oil and they were poured upon the priest and upon the kings. And upon the prophets, they were used with the fluid of blood that was splashed upon the book of the law, the tabernacle, the people, the altar, the soul of the sinner. And they were rituals of cleaning, of cleansing, of washing. And they were poured out upon those who were repentant, those who were, were ill, those who had been ill, those who had been cleansed from leprosy, women after childbirth, all sorts of, of of rituals. They were all part and parcel of the great baptismal rituals of the Old Testament that involved dipping, baptizing, dipping of the hand in oil, dipping of the finger in blood, dipping of the hyssop in the water and sprinkling it, splashing it, literally dousing the people. And it was a symbol, the oil was the symbol. It was to be made in the apothecary. It was not to be alloyed at all with any other fluid. And it was to have special kinds of spices in it. And it was to be special to the Lord because that's what the oil did. It consecrated. It set aside. But besides that, it was the symbol of the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. And I'll just say one thing as we close. The Lord 
asked Samuel, told Samuel to arise, anoint him, for this is he. Samuel took the horn of oil and anointed him in the midst of his brothers. This is what happened to Jesus. You remember Jesus? He was anointed in the midst of his brothers. You remember the Bible tells us that all Judea came out to hear John the Baptist, John the Anointer, preach. And huge multitudes were there, and they were coming for baptism. And John was baptizing them with the water rituals of cleansing for repentance. And Jesus stepped in line, and amid his whole community, friends, neighbors, strangers, everyone from that region that was coming back to the Lord through faith and repentance, Jesus stepped in the line and was anointed in the midst of his brethren. You remember what happened? The Spirit of God descended upon him in the form of a dove. What does our text say? He anointed him in the midst of his brothers and the Spirit of the Lord rushed upon David from that day forward. We'll, we'll learn a little more about David as soon as he had this wonderful anointing experience. We don't find out that he did anything in particular. In fact, he, he probably just went back out to tend the sheep. And until he was called up, as we'll see in a later time, to, to fight Goliath, he's back home. He's where he needs to be. He's doing what he needs to be. The Lord's doing what he did to Moses. He's taking him into a desert and into a wilderness to prepare him for a throne room, for a palace. And that's what's happening now to King David, who is the ideal king in Israel. And we now see this. And then it closes and Samuel rose up and went to Ramah. Samuel loved his home. Any chance he got, he'd go back home. Don't know where we're going from here, but I'll tell you this. The Lord's got his anointed. He's chosen. He's anointed. He's anointed and empowered with the Spirit. Where do we go from here? Where do you go from here in your life? Are you chosen? You made your calling and election sure? You've been anointed with the Spirit as a Spirit of God real to you and in your life by way of His indwelling, by way of His working in your heart? Do you have a heart for God? that's what the Lord's really looking for in any of us is a person after his own heart. 